0: we pursue comfort as if that's an end in itself whereas it's a foundation for going out and chasing our dreams it's where you go back and restore yourself so you can go back out into the world and chase adventure and fun and have impact on the world and grow
1: Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast, and happy Great Lakes Awareness Day. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Fred Joyle. Fred is the co-founder of 1-800-DENTIST, along with Gary St. Dennis, which started back in 1986. So you may have seen those commercials throughout the 90s like myself. Fred's also the author of three books, two of which are in the dental industry, and his latest book, Super Bold, From Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days, gives readers a systematic way to increase their boldness and confidence. Fred will even be having a highly interactive two-day Super Bold Workshop on June 24th and 25th that will work on some of the exercises and principles outlined in the book. So if you're in the area of Santa Monica, California, or want to make a special trip out that way, check out Fred's website in the show notes to get more information. Our conversation ranges from the origin story behind 1-800-DENTIST to what inspired Fred to want to be more bold in his life, and even when Fred was a question on Jeopardy and a contestant on Are You Smarter Than a 5th Grader? Make sure to stick around to the end of the episode to see if that Jeopardy contestant ended up getting the question right and if Fred ended up being smarter than a 5th grader. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Fred Joyle's journey with one 800 and becoming super bold. All right. Fred, welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today.
0: That's my pleasure, Eric. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Same here. So I feel like it's difficult to summarize everything you do, but in short, you're a speaker, entrepreneur, business advisor, and author of three books, which we'll get into a little later in our conversation. And in addition to that, you're the co-founder of 1 800 Dentists, along with your partner Gary St. Dennis, which started back in 1986. Can you talk a little bit about how that venture got started and what led you and Gary St. Dennis down that path?
0: Yeah, I was working as a, an ad copywriter in a in an LA agency, and Gary was a stockbroker, and. I liked working in advertising, but I didn't like the career arc, which swoops up and then falls off a cliff at 50 years old. (laughs) So I thought, I'm going to, I would, I like the business, but I think I need my own business. And Gary was really tired of being a stockbroker. He says, I'm really tired of losing people's money so I can make money. (laughs) Uh, And uh, a friend of ours had grabbed this phone number way back in 79 when 800 numbers first came out. And Mm -hmm. when he saw me working in advertising, he said, I think you could turn this into a business. He had, uh, you know, he had a vague notion of what the business could be. And uh, he had had the phone number ring to his house for Mm -hmm. six years. (laughs) Uh, And so Gary and I just quit our jobs and spent six months finding 20 dentists in Los Angeles who would go along with this crazy idea. Uh, I created some radio spots and we just ran them and set up a, a little call center, like 200 square foot, five chair call center. And we didn't know what we were doing. We we had to invent every aspect of the business. We had never run a call center before. We, we didn't even own computers until this. Computers <laughs> didn't even have hard drives back then. That's how it, you know, nascent this the technological world was at that time. <laughs> uh, but we get 50 phone calls the first day. And we went, wow, this this is actually could work. And so we just kept spending more money on advertising and adding more dentists and just growing and growing and just, you know, never profitable. Uh but we were living off, we had we borrowed thirty thousand dollars from our families, and that was our whole startup capital.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and we just kept rolling and rolling, adding doctors and adding eventually adding cities and then finally about two and a half years in we switched over and started advertising on television and that's when the thing blew up we we tripled in size in that third year and then it was off to the races we you know over the 30 years we had the business it generated over a billion dollars in revenue so it it went much much further than we thought it was gonna go
1: Yeah, those are definitely some big figures from the very humble beginnings. Because yeah, that's kind of what I was gathering when I was doing some research on you is that you're you're primarily an ad person. And then you transition into, I guess, the dental industry. And that was kind of the intermediary you worked through. So that's a a really interesting story. And I love those different origin stories, too, that have to deal with, you don't really know what you're doing type thing, but you kind of figure it out along the way. And yeah, you're to your point, you really you never really know what can happen with it. I mean, in this case, billion dollars in revenue is definitely impressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and, and we just made you don't do thirty years without making some colossal mistakes along the way, <laughs> and we just made survivable mistakes, and we were really good at learning from them. And I, I want to say not repeating them, but sometimes we repeated them. You know, sometimes <laughs> it takes two punches in the nose before you get it, uh, and. And so Gary and I had a basic philosophy about the business. This was before people had core values, and we're talking about that, and we're talking about culture and anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we wanted, number one, we wanted a place where we wanted to go to work every day. That Mm -hmm. was paramount. That was priority, number one. Number two was everybody had to win he had been a stockbroker and he said I I the win lose thing is not working for me and we had both worked in other businesses i had worked in a bunch of other businesses and the customer had to lose in order for me to get my commission basically mm-hmm. uh, and it, that that wasn't going to happen for us we weren't going to live that way we weren't going to create a business that way so the the customer which is the dentist had to win the patient who called us had to win Our employees had to win and we had to, you know, it had to be profitable. We had to win. And so we kept it that way. And then the third priority was to make money. Mm -hmm. And we kept that that way with with those priorities in that order. When what happens to a lot of people as they go along in business is all of a sudden money starts to move up. It moves past the win-win and the win-win becomes less important. And then great place to work becomes less important because you're not there as much, but you're taking a lot of the cash out. We never did that. We were never reorganizing the priorities based on our desire for more money. We made great money for a long time in Mm -hmm. the business. But everybody told us, they said, you could make a lot more money if you didn't offer the benefits the way you offer them and pay and bonus people the way you do. And we say, mm-hmm. yeah, we know that, except <laughs> we think we might have failed as a business because
2: mm-hmm.
0: how this business feels is so powerful when it, in terms of getting dentists to participate with us, but even more importantly, to get people who are calling, looking for a dentist to be comfortable with our operators and trusting of them. Because the, our operators were really manufacturing our product. They were creating a patient for the practice. And that took projecting something very positive and very caring over the phone. We -hmm. could never automate it. We could never outsource it to the Philippines or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was our people that did that. And we actually reminded everybody in all the other departments is like, the reason we have jobs is because of what they do in the call center. So they're not second-class citizens. We are. Mm-hmm. So let's keep that in mind, and and we we created a very powerful culture because of that.
1: Yeah, no, and I love the way you summarize that. You got to keep your people happy for sure, and I like that you prioritize, you know, making it a winning scenario for everybody involved over the profits. And yeah, to your point, I think there there's a lot of power in doing that. And and yeah, I mean. You could, I guess, scrutinize things and say, "Oh, yeah, well, you could you could save X amount by cutting this or doing this." But you know, are you really type thing? If it's if it's going to disgruntle people in the process or wrinkle anything in the system, so yeah, no, I, I think you have a good uh, have a good head on your shoulders with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly we we tried various things that didn't work, but we we were we didn't bring any ego mm-hmm. either of us to the business. If if there, if an idea was a bad idea it was abandoned immediately. <laughs> there was no uh, emotional attachment to it. And there was no blame that, you know, if, if he came up with something and I, I went along with it and it didn't go right. It wasn't like this, Gary, this was a dumb idea. Uh, and this is your fault. There mm-hmm. was never, we, we had that kind of partnership where there was never any recriminations or blame. Once we decided to do it, we decided to do it. And, and there was, and we just proceeded and we absorbed the shock and, and, and moved on, but we had a, a huge amount of trust. One of the the cores to our success is we had very complementary skills as partners. I we weren't clones of each other at all, and so we we covered a lot of bases. And then we just started to fill in the gaps with what what do we both have as a blind spot? Oh, okay, we need a decent CFO, <laughs> uh, and you know, and we need a detail person. And that's when we brought my brother in, who eventually became the COO, because we needed somebody who who really could make the trains run on time, so to speak, and really get all of the systems executing and evolving technologically. And that's the way we approached it. And we just found really good people. Mm -hmm. And and that that was always our attitude. It's like, we have a great life because of these 250 people. Mm -hmm. And they knew it. There was none of, of no preening, oh, aren't we brilliant sort of stuff you guys make this business and they knew it and and they were treated that way by us and and they knew that we had their backs they knew if a customer called up and was abusive to a customer service person especially cursing them out they were they were off the service Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get back on they were literally blacklisted Mm -hmm. and they could write a long apology letter and we'd say, "Yeah, apology accepted." You're still not back on mm-hmm. because you don't get to do that to my people. And when you, when your people know that that's what you're going to do, they will go to the wall for you because mm-hmm. they know that they are. You know, as as Richard Branson always says, "You take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We somehow knew that. I had never heard Richard say that. We just behaved that way. To the point where, you know, if somebody did that, they wouldn't let me call the dentist to kick him off because they went, no, 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 we got it, we got it. Just don't, don't call him because they knew <laughs> I was not going to be nice. <laughs> they said, well, no, we'll, we want to keep our reputation up. We don't, we don't need to unleash you onto them. I was like, well, they don't get to talk to you guys that way. I need to talk to that guy. What's his number? No, never mind. We got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so much good stuff there. I mean, I, I think it's really important to remove the ego out of it and, Yeah, don't play the blame game and just take everything as a learning experience and really just have faith and and trust in your people. So, yeah, so much good stuff there. But speaking of the, the dental industry, I know you have two books in that regard. So you have Everything is Marketing, the Ultimate Strategy for Dental Practice Growth that was published in 2010 and Becoming Remarkable, How to Create a Dental Practice Everyone Talks About, which was published in 2015. Would you say it was primarily your experience with 1-800-DENTIST that ultimately motivated you to write these books or were there other external factors at play? Well,
0: I certainly, I knew a lot about advertising going in, but I got Mm -hmm. a lot better at it because we were our own ad agency. We made all our own commercials. We bought our own advertising time. We placed all our media ourselves. We did everything internally. So we were learning about the customer, the, that is the patient, mm-hmm. by listening to literally millions of phone calls. And so we, we had a deeper understanding of of that customer, very often better than the dentists would themselves. And then I met some really good dentists, dentists who really ran their practice as well, and then some some coaches, some practice management coaches that really had some brilliant insights into how to help the dentists run their business and market their business, and a lot of it became what are these big mindset shifts that they need to understand? And that's what, so everything is marketing was this first big idea, which is everything that happens in the dental practice either increases or decreases the patient's acceptance of treatment. Mm-hmm. Nothing is neutral—not the smell of the place, not the color of the walls, not what do you, what the what you're wearing for. For scrubs, anything you say, anything they hear, see, taste, touch, or smell will affect whether they trust you enough to accept treatment Mm -hmm. or push it the other way. And so I went into a lot of detail about that. I said, This is more important than any ad you're gonna run because if that's not working, it doesn't matter how good your ads are running. You know, if I'm, as 800 dentists, if we send you a patient, You're going to bobble the the handoff Mm -hmm. because you're not doing these other things. And that became a a very strong gift, essentially, to the industry because way more people read the book than were ever customers of ours. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase was becoming remarkable, which was to really address the whole world of digital reviews and things like that and how your reputation is being built, whether you like it or not. So you had to create an experience that people couldn't resist talking about because now they talked in a permanent record out on the internet. <laughs> uh, and so I elaborate. It was the next layer of thinking and, and action in practice marketing. So those were the, those were, And those books really launched us to a, a different level as a business uh, because they were so helpful. They were the best brochure we ever made. <laughs> Our salespeople would send them to everyone. And say, "Oh, you got to read Fred's book. You got to, you know, it's gonna whether whether you ever join us or not. But what happens is they they say like, oh, I'm, I understand a lot better how why I need to advertise and how I can make it work. So can you help me? <laughs> so it worked very well.
1: Yeah, definitely. You really widen your net by by releasing these books, and I think you touch on some really important subjects with them too that a lot of people can benefit from, especially from the the whole digital world too. So." Yeah, no, that's that's really awesome. And I heard you briefly mention it as well about you had some coaches involved. And I was actually just listening to your interview on the Best Practices Show podcast. On there, you mentioned how important it is for everyone to have a coach. So I kind of want to pivot there for a minute. So what are some of the top characteristics you look for in a good coach? Uh,
0: candor. I, I I don't want them pulling punches, but I don't... <laughs> maybe, maybe have a glove on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when they do it. But a, a, a really good coach... Insists, it listens really closely, has has some depth of knowledge that relates to what I what I need and what my weaknesses and strengths might be, and probes to find out what those are, mm-hmm. and then it comes in and and says, "How about think about this this way? How does this land with you?" And then always insisting on, "What do you? Okay, we've talked about this." we've come to an understanding about what how you feel about this or what you need to do about this what's the plan what's mm-hmm. the action plan for this cuz when we talk next month we're not going to talk about the same thing again we're going to talk about something else cuz you're going to have done something about this we may talk about what happened but if you're going to if you just want to talk about the same problem over and over again i'll give you a, a psychologist to talk to <laughs> this is about you getting actually getting better you not just airing your issues and Mm -hmm. grievances the best coaches are are really concise they ask really really good questions and that's what i've learned to do over years as an executive coach is to to just find a way to ask some the the question that that peels them open in in the 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 way that you get to the root of the issue
1: Mm -hmm. yeah no so many great qualities so many great aspects there. And, and yeah, I agree with, definitely with what you're saying about just kind of steering the person in that direction, asking really good questions and almost making it to where the recipient on the other end just has those aha moments and the gears start turning and they, they start to to realize it themselves and have that kind of self-discovery moments. And I think those are extremely powerful in, in pushing you further and actually advancing in whatever you're trying to do. So yeah, all all really great tidbits there.
0: Yeah, and and it matters. They need experience. When when mm-hmm. I'm coaching a CEO, it's my experience that is valuable to them because they're saying, "Well, I, I'm really thinking about uh, mezzanine financing because that looks really good." And I'll say, "All right, let me let me tell you the drawbacks of mezzanine financing mm-hmm. so that you're not going in blind. It may still be the right thing to do, but no, this is what can go wrong because mm-hmm. with anything, something can go wrong." So if you're if you're looking for it, if you know there's a curve in the road ahead, you slow down, mm-hmm. and you're and you're paying attention. And so when I'm doing something, I want somebody who, especially somebody who's coaching five or six people, they're pulling that the expertise from those other people as well, and they're mm-hmm. and, and as well as always growing. Their own knowledge, I mean my coach he says, "Look, I spend a hundred grand a year on coaching myself <laughs> he said so so i'm benefiting from that somebody's trying to somebody's trying to make him better i want I want to offer expertise and experience to people, and I want that from my coach
1: yeah, oh, so many good aspects there. I mean, having that base knowledge to your point just establishes so much credibility too and you know, being able to see further down the road on if there's a curve ahead or something and being able to adequately prepare for it is, is so important. And and also just constantly learning like what you said, too. I mean, that's that's a huge aspect for me as well, because I feel like you should never really stop learning or trying to grow in any sort of regard, even if you are regarded as an expert or coach other people. I mean, coaches should have coaches and, and having some sort of external person. Being there to challenge them, you know, because uh, I feel like it's it's dangerous if you get too stagnant or, or caught in your, I guess, caught in your same habits and same ways.
0: And and a lot of times you can't see that you're caught in them that mm-hmm. that you're, that you're repeating something over and over again. You're making the same mistake. And and a, and a coach just from thirty thousand feet just says, "Do you see that this is what you did here and here?" Well, no. What do you mean? <laughs> and then all of a sudden they they lay it out a little bit for you, and there's that gulp. Uh, yeah, all right, I do see it. But that's the the opportunity to learn is always there for you, and never more than now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are incredible YouTube videos of people. There are incredible TED talks, and there are great coaches. You, I'm I'm a student of leadership. I am always trying to figure out how to get better. And help other people be better leaders because mm-hmm. you can always refine it. A, a new approach comes out, and you—you uh, know—I'll I'll read a book on how you know Netflix is no rules rules, and you know their core values and and how they approach them, and, and I just say, wow, there's five of those things that my people could really benefit from, and I can bring those, mm-hmm. it, it, and they will, and and it'll instantly change them. And you know, the goal of any coach is to bring five ten times the value of what you cost Mm -hmm. otherwise you shouldn't be with that coach Mm -hmm. unless you're not trying to grow a business but this is the (laughs) the great thing that that people somehow avoid the fact is they you can't find a single successful athlete that doesn't have three coaches Mm -hmm. but people in business go well i i don't need i don't need a coach i'll figure this out i'll read a book i'll I'll just do it my instincts are good my gut is i got my gut reaction is always right I don't think it is, but that—that's just them, you know, trying to, you know, take credit for everything that's happening and believing. Yeah, you know, you need to know how to talk to people. We're not born knowing how to do this. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we don't—we don't have social skills. Our parents teach them to us, and our parents aren't always right, and then our mm-hmm. peers aren't always right. And so you got to unlearn as much as you are willing to learn. <laughs> this is this is the the two edges to that. And a good coach is helping you to unlearn stuff, to abandon beliefs that are no longer serving you or maybe never did.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. So many good tidbits there. And I love the parallel you drew with being an athlete because I'm an athlete myself. I mean, I ran cross country and track all throughout junior high, through high school, through college. And I, I still do it, what I would say, recreationally, but I still do it regularly. But I've had so many coaches in my life in that regard, all with different styles. And, you know, they're different. Bits and pieces I take from each one and characteristics that I find really helpful and really effective. And, yeah, but, you know, you just need to keep, I guess, pushing the envelope further if you want to advance and and keep moving on. But speaking of pushing the envelope, uh, so recently you you released the book Super Bold from Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days, which teaches a systematic way for anyone to increase their boldness and confidence. And from what I've been gathering, you actually grew up a shy person yourself. So was there a specific moment in your life that made you want to be more bold and explore those practices further?
0: You know, like a lot of people, (laughs) it's uh, you, you miss opportunities with Mm -hmm. a a relationship. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I missed out on a relationship with this girl that I thought, you know, this would be a great relationship. This would be really good. But I don't want to ruin the friendship. And what if that's all she says is, you know, what we dread hearing as young men, I just want to be friends, mm-hmm. right? So the easiest way to not hear that is to not set yourself up for hearing that. And because of it, I never spoke up. And then years later, she and I had a conversation about it. And she said, you know, I was, I was really interested in you at the time. But, you know, and I thought it would've, we would have been great together, but you never made a move. You never <laughs> spoke up. And I'm like, really? Oh my god! And it's like, <laughs> and that's you know, that's the kind of gut shot where you say, "All right, that's enough of this. Mm-hmm. I, I have got to stop hesitating. I got to be bold enough to chase my dreams and mm-hmm. and take the risks and take the hits and and be uncomfortable until I am comfortable." Because I watched bold people do all sorts of things and try all sorts of things. And they processed rejection in a totally different way than I did. And Mm -hmm. they processed failure in a totally different way. But doors swung open for them just because of the way they moved through the world. And I said, I want to be that. And I got to figure out how to get there. So I just emulated them. And it was slow and painful to get there. But I just kept putting myself in situations where... I, I eventually powered through and got better. I mean, we don't, like I said, we don't know how to talk to people until somebody teaches us. And and I eventually learned how to effectively connect with people and, and started meeting really great women. I always had really good friends, but I widened my circle of friends considerably and I widened my acquaintance level vastly in the dental industry to mm-hmm. the point where there's there's, Hundreds and hundreds of people who feel connected to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not just because we're Facebook friends. It's because we've done something. We've been there together. And I've had a meaningful conversation. Now, it may have been one with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, once I transformed myself, I, I created the feedback loop of positivity. Of, mm-hmm. of, when you do something bold, something unexpected often happens. But almost never, this is, this is the thing that, that bold people figured out or they knew innately and I figured it out and I try to teach everybody is that trying and failing and trying and succeeded are, are way more similar than not trying. Mm-hmm. What gnaws at you is not trying. If you try and fail, you say, well, hey, I, I, I stepped up and swung I, you know, and I struck out, but I, I swung. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, I didn't approach the plate, and what happens is you get better at swinging. You 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 start to spot the the fastball coming. It's a life skill to to be more confident and more bold, and you can learn it. You just have to learn it gradually, and that's what I in my final my third book, the one that I been Super Bold. That's what I teach is how to gradually build that boldness muscle, just like you would build your ability to run a marathon. If, mm-hmm. if somebody says, I, I'm going to run the L.A. Marathon, you would not recommend, well, you better start running 26 miles a day. <laughs> right. Right, Because you'd be and they'd be in the hospital. <laughs> so you'd say, look, I, I think you need to combine some sprints with, uh, you know, maybe a little distance and then gradually work it up and then take a week off and then get back to it you'd you'd have a whole system of gradually working up to 26 miles yeah and and it's the same thing building your boldness muscle i start people off really simply just not non-verbally even just smile at people mm-hmm. and and register their reactions and don't take on their reactions either way if they don't smile back it's not a big deal we, we we're so worried about everybody's opinion of us And they're not thinking about us. They're going back to thinking about themselves. (laughs) But we're 20 years later going, uh, uh, somebody was just saying this to me, which I thought was really perfect. He said, yep. He says, I went to my high school reunion, my 30th high school reunion. And he says, more than once I would go up to this guy and I'd say, you know, I've been always wanting to tell you about, you know, I, I was really a jerk with you. I was really insulting. I really felt bad about it. And they would look at me and go, what are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> I have no recollection of that whatsoever. Yeah. So w- he'd been carrying it for thirty years. It bounced off of them, and they forgot about it five minutes later.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's what that's what you you want to do is is realize you can r- release yourself from all that stuff mm-hmm. by just you know hey get good at apologizing right then if you if you mess up just apologize right mm-hmm. then. Some people apologize like like they're giving away hundred dollar bills. It's like eh, I don't know if I can do this. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> it actually <laughs> builds your character.
1: No, exactly. Uh, so much truth in that. And, and yeah, to your point, I've had different situations before in the past where somebody would kind of confide in me or say, you know, uh, I feel really embarrassed about the situation from the past and explain this thing or some sort of interaction I was involved in or something say, like, I forgot that even happened. Like, and, unless you <laughs> brought it up, I had no idea that happened type thing. And And even when they brought it up, it's like, I don't care. That was so long ago type thing. Or, you know, from, from the other perspective too, whenever I've shared something like, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing when I did that or, or something when I was around people, they completely forgot about it too. So no, that's there's so much truth in that. Yeah.
0: Or they, they had a totally different perspective. They went, yeah, that was really funny when that happened. <laughs> right. I'm funny. I was humiliated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, was, everybody thought it was just hilarious. We love that. You know, this is, this is a very subtle thing is people don't realize – our friends and family love us as much for our quirks as for mm-hmm. our uh, positive attributes mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're all like, Oh, they, they, they think I'm weird. They think I'm quirky. They, they're, they're, you know, no, that's, we're all flawed human beings working mm-hmm. our way through life. Nobody's perfect and everybody's wishing they were.
1: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And, and speaking of, I guess, working on your boldness muscle and everything I see that you're so dabbled in stand-up and improv comedy. I imagine that was kind of your your route of expanding your boldness muscle a little bit. Are there any other practices you would recommend?
0: That was the most effective thing. <laughs> Certainly stand-up uh, is, yeah. is, a, is a bold move mm-hmm. <laughs> because the feedback loop is pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You don't have to wonder how it's going. Because you can get off stage and think, you know, when two people come up after you're doing it, you know, you're doing a regular lecture Mm -hmm. and a couple of people come up and go, that was so great. And you you think, oh, it must have been really great. two people out of 200 said that. You don't know. Mm -hmm. If if you're doing stand up, if two people laugh out of 100, you're not funny or that joke (laughs) wasn't funny. Uh, So and that's what every good comic learns to just let it bounce off. They, They don't take on the joke. The, they're just trying to find out what, it's what may be funny to them, what's funny to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes practice. The best of all of them go out in the, at 2 in the morning and, and, open, and, and try out material in these clubs with 15 people in them to see mm-hmm. if, it, if it works. But the real foundational thing was improv comedy yeah. because of the way they teach it. It's it's you start just like the exercises in my book. You start very very gradually and build up this skill little by little by little until you can get to the point where you can go on stage with three people, take an audience suggestion, and create an entire scene that's interesting and ends funny. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you you develop this incredible trust in having a relaxed, energized state. Where your brain is just working really well, mm-hmm. and then of course when you're prepared, now it's easy. You know, when I walk on stage with uh, you know a few hundred people out there, and I've got a prepared ninety minutes, the beauty of it is now I can be as spontaneous as I want because mm-hmm. I know what I could say and what I was planning to say. But now I now I can be in discovery mode. And think and just cue of a new story that just happened and say, wait, let me let me add this color <laughs> to it. Or I just say it the perfect way for the first time, like it's all been back there because your brain goes into full active mode in those situations. And mm-hmm. you can be incredibly concise and creative and connect with people. These are all skills that people learn gradually, and mm-hmm. the more you focus on them, the faster you learn them. And that's a lot of what my book is about: is let's let's find the fastest way to to keep moving you up.
1: Yeah, definitely. I know those are definitely very effective outlets. Uh, you know, stand up and improv comedy, at least from my perspective too, because I'm I'm certainly not an expert in that realm. But I remember one situation to where. I just tried it on a whim to go on a stage for 60 seconds. It was, co- it was this event at this place called Max Bar in Lansing, which is unfortunately no longer operating under Max Bar and everything. It's been converted into a sports bar and whatnot. But anyway, back when it was Max Bar, they did... Uh, it was called like 60-minute comedy power hour or something like that. I jumped the gun a little here. And nothing has actually reopened at Max Bar at this time. There were initially rumors about it reopening as a sports bar, but in an article by the Lansing State Journal... It's just stated that Max Bar won't continue as a music venue. However, I wasn't able to find any other concrete updates other than that. And the name of that event I participated in is Max Comedy Power Hour, in case you were curious. A link to that Lansing State Journal article can be found in the show notes. Anyway, it was 60 comedians, and they each had a minute to just go on stage, do their jokes, and then an air horn went, next comedian came up, and I was like, you know, I could... That's enough to, for me to kind of push the envelope for me and get me out of my comfort zone. If I'm going to try and dabble in stand-up comedy, and even if it's an absolute disaster, I only have to deal with it for one minute. That was kind of my mentality going into it. So, you know, I I gave it a shot. And long story short, it's uh, a lot harder than it looks to do that. And I was certainly out of my comfort zone, but I'm so glad I did it.
0: <laughs> yeah. see, And that, and that's what I mean is is you, you didn't have a skyrocketing instant career in comedy doing it, <laughs> no. but you tried it. Mm-hmm. and you you know what it feels like to have tried it rather than knowing what it feels like to have never tried it
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is where a lot of people are stuck with a lot of things they don't they don't want to move out of their comfort zone we mm-hmm. we pursue comfort as if that's an end in itself, whereas it's a foundation for going out and chasing our dreams It's where you go back and restore yourself so you can go back out into the world and and chase adventure and fun and have impact on the world and grow. Mm -hmm. This relentless pursuit of comfort is a, is a road to nowhere and people don't realize it till three decades go by.
1: Oh, so true. No. And, and and I feel like it it is all relative in a certain sense and that what makes me really uncomfortable may not make someone else feel really uncomfortable, but it's, it's pushing that envelope further into what makes me, you know, uncomfortable or what do I want to overcome or get better at? And then just practicing at it. And I think more than anything, just being vulnerable and putting yourself in that vulnerable position to be like, hey, you know, I'm still learning this. I want to give it a shot and see. And, yeah, I, to your point, I mean, I've never really I've never regretted a decision to where I tried something and absolutely failed. But I have regretted never trying something at all.
0: Yeah. And if, if you talk to people in their last days of their life. That's what they talk about. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they are not listing the things they regretted doing. They're listing the things they regretted not doing, the things they regretted not saying, the mm-hmm. things they, didn't, they regretted not trying, not changing. I should have fixed my relationship with my brother. We didn't talk for 20 years and now, we, mm-hmm. you know, here I am dying. Or uh, I, I should have never quit that job. I love that job, but they, they told me I should retire because I'm 65 and I didn't want to, but I did it. I should have never done it. You know, the list goes on and you don't want to be there. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole purpose of my book is so that people live a life without stacked up regrets, that they, mm-hmm. that they left it all on the mat. They they chased their dreams. They they got as far as they possibly could. They found love. They found adventure. They and and had tons of failures and bittersweet moments. And in the end, they said, "This is a rich life." Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to help people to do. That's what I learned to do because I couldn't bear not to. I couldn't bear to let any more time go by.
1: No, exactly. So good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so much truth in what you're saying, for sure. And, and I mean,
0: it's very heavy what we're talking about, but boldness is a life skill that you can learn. That's the important thing to remember. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and there's so much to it. I try to put so much of the, the things I learned the hard way about boldness by watching other people until I, I tried it. But the main thing is, bold people are never the ones to stop themselves. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are stopping ourselves all the time. Oh, oh yeah. I shouldn't, that, that person's not going to want to talk to me or I, I'm not going to, I'm not that good at that. I should, I'm not going to try karaoke. I don't have a good voice. I don't want to dance. I'm not that good at dancer. <laughs> and then the, and the list goes on. I'm not good at math. I'm not, you know, like I'm not a good parent. Uh, you know, they, they just, they rattle these self definitions off instead of saying, I, I want to try that. I want to. I want to get better. I think I'll try karaoke. I may sound ridiculous, but everybody <laughs> looks like they're having so much fun. And that last guy who went up sucked, right? And all his friends cheered. So maybe I, mm-hmm. I'll be all right. So that's that's the the shift you want to help yourself make is is to listen to that voice in your head and say, is is that something I want to listen to? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to – I hear it. it may be, may, you'll never be able to shut up those voices in your head. You just don't have to listen to them. You can just act mm-hmm. anyway. And then all the good stuff happens on the other side.
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Actually, speaking of karaoke, <laughs> that's actually something I love to do out in public. Like, Am I a great singer? No, definitely not. But I have a blast doing karaoke. I'll just go up and pick a song that I like and just have fun doing it. But what I find mind-blowing is that I'll talk to other people out there like, oh, you should go up and do a song. And they're like, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And once they finally go up, there and like, okay, you know, I'll do a song. Their voice is ten times better than mine. (laughs) <laughs> just like and, and it's like, it's how like, many what do you people...
0: mean you can't sing?
1: <laughs> it's like how I many... <laughs> am
0: an example of not being able to sing, not you,
1: <laughs> exactly it's like how I mean, and the sad thing is, I know there are so many people out there that exist that are just like that, you know, whether it's karaoke, whether it's stand up, you know, like I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of people out there that are funnier than I am who just never take the stage for comedy or or anything, and it's you know it's it's sad, but it's also at the same time like it's you want to just. You know, push those people into like getting out of their comfort zones more and just being like, you know, honestly, just give it a shot. I feel you You never know what could happen.
0: Yeah. And and there's some people that are ready for that. And other people, they just have to start more simply. They just mm-hmm. have to start talking to strangers. People say, well, what's the number one thing you would recommend to people before they even buy your book? It's start talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. Just just and they, well, what? I, I don't know what to say. It's like, no, you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be funny. You don't have to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is be nice. Compliment them. Say, mm-hmm. wow, those, those are great looking glasses. I don't know where you got them, but, but they, really, they really go with, 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 with your face. Yeah. And that's it. it and have no agenda. You have, you're not interested in any outcome except a brief connection and making another person feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. If you approach the world that way, you can talk to anybody.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I believe it was Jedediah Jenkins. I, I've read several of his books. I, I think it was like Streams to the Ocean and and that book that he has. But he he talks about a similar concept in that he he created this habit to where if he sees something that he likes in someone else, like let's just say he likes somebody's shirt, he'll go up and just say, "Hey, I like your shirt." Total stranger, whatnot, and you know, 99 out of 100 times, it makes them feel good. You know, it spreads positivity, and it's like, why wouldn't you tell these things to these people. Like if you like a characteristic or something about someone, you know, why don't you tell them, you know, why, why are you so afraid of that? And that's something I've been trying to practice in my own life. And it's, it's truly so effective. I mean, if I find something that I like in somebody else, I'll tell them.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to challenge you because there's a, the next level of that is Take something you have a judgment about, because we have all mm-hmm. of these random judgments about people we oh they're that we judge them by their height or their weight or their hair color or and eh, the way they dress we got and and we're wrong eighty seven percent of the time mm-hmm. about everything we think about them but but we do it we just do these drive by judgments of everybody <laughs> um so what I do now because I still do it i but when I hear myself do it, like I'll look at somebody, I'll go, man, that, that jacket looks ridiculous on them. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'll do? I'll go up and I'll compliment them about the jacket. Mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, you are rocking that jacket. I mean, I, I couldn't wear that, but on you, it's it's just working. It's mm-hmm. working great. And you know what? It changes. They always react positively to it because they're wearing a the jacket, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, and it changes how I see them because... Mm-hmm. I went no this guy was this is how he he wants to look and he, and he doesn't want to look weird he wants to he wants to be who he is mm-hmm. I you know in my book I talk about a woman who she was wearing all yellow she was head to toe uh and so it was <laughs> it was bright and I I just went up to her this was in a Starbucks and I said Wow, that you look so amazing in that color. And she says, "Oh, thank you so much." She says, "I was I was feeling so low this morning, you know, mm-hmm. so down that I thought I'm just gonna try to brighten things up just by by wearing a, a, a bright, bright color." And so, thank you so much for telling me. Now, think of the impact I managed to have on her because I was thinking that's too loud, right? That's <laughs> nuts, mm-hmm. right? But instead. I complimented her, and she was in a tough spot right right then, mm-hmm. and she was trying to fix it. And what I, what did I do? I came in and, and reinforced that. I lifted her a little higher.
1: Oh, yeah. What a great
0: thing to be able to do.
1: For sure. I know, and I'm, sh- I'm sure those words meant a lot to and really, really brightened her day. And actually, speaking uh, on positivity and, and spreading positive messages and whatnot, I was listening to your interview on the Breakthrough Marketing Secrets podcast. And on there, you mentioned that you journal every day about good things that happen and things you can improve on. And personally, I love that habit. Do you have any other daily habits in addition to that that you find effective?
0: Uh, the, the, in terms of productivity, I always, I always have the three things I want to accomplish most mm-hmm. laid out before I do, before I open my email or start doing anything else. But the first thing I do is list three things that I'm grateful for. Now, I have a book that's called The 5-Minute Journal, and it actually lays this stuff out really easily so you can do it every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the three things are... You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the great view off of my balcony. I'm grateful that uh, I, I got a hold of my best friend on his birthday yesterday and, mm-hmm. and we had an hour long conversation. I'm, I'm grateful to get to work with my brother after all these years. I'm still working with him on, on all sorts of different projects. I, I'm grateful that I don't have COVID right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like <laughs> I just come up with stuff. It's impossible to feel bad about yourself or about the day when you you start with gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's like it it jumpstarts your day, and then I start to say what what three things would would make today amazing, and I want to get those done.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then I do some affirmations. Uh, you know, I the, what's important to me. I lay those out for myself and I just remind myself because we we just need reminding. Of mm-hmm. you know what you know I I'm, I still tell myself I you know I want to be kind uh, <laughs> I I, I want to be compassionate
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: I want to be considerate I want to be focused I want to be patient You know it's taken me sixty plus years to be patient <laughs> and I I don't other people would say well you're not that patient <laughs> and I just say well I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. <laughs> it's so important for me to start with gratitude Mm -hmm. that that I would never not do every day that way
1: gratitude so important I'm really glad that you take up that practice and you know make it a daily routine no that's that's so powerful now this question I know is coming out of left field for sure but I I feel like I need to ask it before we get into plugins and final thoughts and whatnot but Mm -hmm. I was reading in your bio that you were a question on Jeopardy! And I, I got to ask, do you remember what the question was? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was related to, to 800 Dentist. Okay. So the, the uh, I was actually the answer. So the, okay. And it was the, the quest, the category was 800 numbers. One of the answers was Fred Joyl shines his pearly whites in this 800 commercial. <laughs> And of course, the answer is what is one eight hundred dentist. I mean, the nice. question is what what is one eight hundred dentist. Mm-hmm. But they just did it because I had been in so many. I've been in like a hundred of the commercials of eight hundred dentist, and so I had become <laughs> this in this in, at this time period. I had just become recognized. Um, the person didn't get it right though. That hurt. <laughs> I, that was, uh,
1: was going to be my follow up question. Did they get yeah, it right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But I did. Uh, I also blew the the big question on. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I blew the question at the end, and because uh, I was trying to make a quarter of a million dollars, and uh, and I got it wrong. But that was the bold move, was to go for that question because I had twenty five thousand, and you can bet all your winnings and ten x them if you get the last question right. Now backstage they were all telling me, "Don't do the last question. Nobody gets it." But because I did it. And got it wrong. And I was thinking out loud and stuff like that the whole time. Because that's what they told me. I Mm -hmm. knew enough, make this interesting television. Well, I had an 800 Dentist t-shirt on. (laughs) Foxworthy's talking about 800 Dentist the whole show. They would put text up at the bottom of the screen. Fred Joyle has sent over 8 million people to the dentist. All this stuff promoting my business. Because I went for that last question, and most people don't, they repeated that episode endlessly. (laughs) I mean, people were calling me five years later saying, I just saw your fifth grader episode again. Uh, (laughs) People were calling me from foreign countries. They were in Bangkok. I I saw your fifth grader. You know, and the and the money was for charity. So mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to get a quarter of a million dollars to give to charity. It's like I can help them with twenty five grand, but I don't have a quarter of a million to give them. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me go for it. Uh, yeah. and it was just the most enjoyable half an hour that I to be on that show. Foxworthy was just amazing. We just had these fabulous conversations on the commercial breaks and stuff. <laughs> and I just said, I uh, if if I ever heard that. Answer. I mean, if i had ever seen the question and I had chosen not to do it, and then I saw the question and knew the answer, I didn't want to kill myself. But I could try <laughs> it and fail. I could try it and miss it, and I could live with myself. But mm-hmm. I couldn't live with myself going, oh, yeah I'm going to, I'm going to slither off with my my meager winnings and <laughs> and call it a day." So that that was just. A great bold moment that that paid we probably probably a million dollars of free promotion from that, so wow. not complaining.
1: Yeah, I had no idea you were on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? That is that's insane, that's awesome. And to your point, I mean, it, it paid off to be bold. I mean, they repeated that episode, you got free advertising for it, and geez, that's that's essentially just upselling your book right there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's the, the when you See the the opportunity to jump, and you don't. That's why people say, "Well, what if if you could give people advice in two words, what would it be?" And I would say, "Step up." Mm-hmm. Just you know, when you when, when you're when you feel the urge to step back or step down, step up. Mm-hmm. See what happens.
1: So much good content in this conversation. Now, is there anything exciting on the horizon for you in terms of projects or you're working on or upcoming events?
0: Oh yeah, I am <laughs> launching the first super bold workshop. It's going to be a 2-day workshop in June, June 24th and 25th in Los Angeles. It's only going to be, I'm limiting it to 40 people. We are going to put people through some changes. We, it is going to be transformational. We are going to compress the experience of the book and the exercises and they're going to do some some wild stuff, but they're going to leave with the the life skills to just constantly increase their boldness and they're just going to feel very, very differently about themselves and mm-hmm. how they approach the world. So I'm really excited about doing this. It's going to be very different than any workshop they've ever done before. It's very interactive, very challenging. On the Friday night, I am releasing them into the wild with assignments <laughs> mm-hmm. and they've got, and they've got their wing person with them. And they've both got stuff to do. And it could be sing karaoke. It could be busking on a street corner. It could be wearing a wig and going, introducing yourself to somebody as a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna, it could be all of that stuff just just to see what it feels like. And then they all got to come in Saturday morning and talk about what they did and what that was like. Mm. So it's going to be stuff like that. So I'm, I'm completely jazzed. I can't wait to launch this thing.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting, and especially when you, you're you me to get to 40 people. I feel like that's just much, much more intimate atmosphere and stuff, too. So now I'm I'm really excited for you for that project. Is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins?
0: The, the, what i like to end with in, in terms of people thinking about their lives mm. is this, is that the only person you need permission from to have the most satisfying, exciting, love-filled, joyful, adventurous life. The only person you need permission from to do that is yourself.
1: So true. What a good point to end on. Awesome. Now, where can people find more information about yourself, your books, and anything else you want to plug?
0: So the book is on Amazon. It's on, in hardcover. It's in Kindle version and Audible version. Uh, and my website and all my social is all Fred Joyle. Uh I, I'm a marketing guy. I knew enough to grab all of those things early. So oh, yeah. uh, Fredjoyle.com, you can download the first chapter of the book. You can find out about the workshops. You can find out if you're looking for a keynote speaker you can get a consultation there. We could figure out if that works for you and your team. You can also download the exercises. If you're reading it in Kindle and audible version, you're going to want a physical version of the exercises. So you can get a PDF Mm -hmm. of the exercises from the website as well.
1: Nice. Yeah. Awesome. I'll make sure to throw all this in the show notes, but yeah. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. You clearly have a very diverse background and impressive resume with everything you do. And I, I think anyone can benefit from learning the taxes you talk about in your books in order to be bold and increase their confidence. So I wish you all the best with that workshop and all the future projects you have going on.
0: Thank you, Eric. I mean, you're you're a terrific host. So you, you <laughs> we brought up we brought up a lot of good stuff because you you were triggering all of it for me. So thank oh, you for thank having you, me thank on. You
1: so much that that really means a lot to hear. So awesome. Yeah. Well, you have a good rest of your day, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to Fred's website, socials, and other resources can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtaposed Journeys wherever you stream your podcast, And maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and it helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, Or live an interesting lifestyle. Send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on PodMatch or request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by Kai Will. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening. And remember to never stop exploring.